weeks we've been we've been doing that. Last week we talked about the subject of water baptism and just the critical and important role that it played uh, in the life of the early church. And today we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, which is 50 days after Easter. It's kind of the birthday of the church. It's kind of the launch of the large-scale ministry that we begin seeing in, in the book of Acts after Jesus' ascension. Now, one thing as you read through the book of Acts that you'll quickly realize about the early church is that it was growing at rapid paces. People were coming to Christ in, in every way, shape, and form. The gospel was moving forward, uh, not only in numbers, but in signs and wonders and power. And, uh, you know, I've heard people over the years say that ministry is not all about numbers. And, and I would certainly agree with that. Um, there are churches that, you know, can have a kind of be a mile wide but an inch deep where you kind of scratch beyond the surface. And there's, there's not a whole lot of depth or substance there. But on the other hand, numbers, I think, are important to God because I love what Perry Noble says. He says, every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God, and that the gospel was intended to spread. It was intended to impact uh, people's life, but on the other hand, numbers don't necessarily equal spiritual growth and maturity. And so we look at the book of Acts, we see kind of evangelism taking off. And the overarching theme this morning is, I want you to see just the deep concern that the early church had with people that were far from God, that were lost. They weren't passive, kind of sitting back and just praying that someone would do something. But the, active, the church was active, and they were, they were stepping out in so many ways, and they were sharing the gospel uh, everywhere they went. And for me, as kind of the pastor of this church, I had a couple people over last week, you know, last Sunday, it just seemed like this room was full. And uh, some people said, it just felt so good being in a full room. And I, while I agree with that, on the other hand, I'm thinking, where do you put 100 or 200 more people that come to Christ and God's working through their lives? Because it's much more than just a feeling of feeling good and feeling full and feeling X, Y, and Z. But it's the reality that you and I are called to be a witness. We're called to share our faith. The Pentecost came and the byproduct was that the apostles and the everyday believers began stepping out with, with great boldness and sharing their faith. And there was this deep concern for the lost. Deep concern for the lost. They were sharing the good news that Jesus came, was the Son of God, died on a cross for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, was returning home. And they stepped out and were ministering with, with great boldness. I want to challenge you to think for a bit because maybe, uh, you know, you have friends that are atheists, they're agnostics, they struggle in kind of their concept and their understanding of God. Very few people, when you really boil into the conversations, you kind of dig deep with people, very few people deny that Jesus existed. There's just too much irrefutable evidence. Most people believe that Jesus existed, but it comes down to many of the questions that they have about, was he really born of a virgin? Was he the one and only son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? It was Jesus himself, the Bible says in, in the Gospel of John chapter 14, that Jesus says, I am the only way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Many people believe that Jesus was a man. They believe that he walked this earth, but they deny kind of the outrageous claims that Jesus made. 
And yet you and I, as we see from the New Testament, they were preaching and they were declaring not only with their life, but with their words that Jesus was and he really still is the only way to God. To the extent that the early church, they suffered, they were tortured, they were thrown in prison after prison for the sake of the gospel. And you begin to see, I want to just kind of outline Acts chapter 8 this morning, and then I'll highlight a couple things and then challenge you to read a bit more this week. But kind of the progression of, of the book of Acts chapter 8 is that persecution begins in the early church. But what happened when persecution hit the life of the early church, it wasn't that they were silent. It wasn't as if they retreated or they just kind of tried to hold the fort down. But when persecution hits, you'll read in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says that there's a great wave of persecution sweeping over the church and all the believers. Saul is going about, and you'll see this, I, I believe, tonight in AD if you watch the series that's on TV. Saul's kind of trying to devastate the church. And he's going house to house. And he's dragging out. You see in verses 1 through 3. Both men and women. He's throwing them into jail. He doesn't want the good news of the gospel. That Jesus really did rise from the dead. He doesn't want that to go to be spread. Because he realizes the threat that, that will be to the, to the government. And so persecution hit. And it came down on the life of the early church. And... You know, one of the things about living in State College is that many uh, people in our community have the opportunity to travel around the world. And the reality is that we do have a lot of freedom in our nation up to this point. If you were to travel in many nations around the world and you see the persecuted church, uh, you'll see that and, and really appreciate, you know, the religious freedoms that we have in our nation. A lot of times what happens is, as the church, we tend to view religious freedom as, as the ground that we're losing, and yet we still don't realize that even in losing ground, we still are so fortunate for the freedoms that we have, and we thank God for those that have sacrificed uh, on, on the behalf of our nation so that we have those freedoms. Very simple things like the ability to gather publicly and worship Jesus. You know, the early church knew nothing of of church buildings or, or houses of worship for 100, 150 plus years. The freedom of, of being able to own the Bible. I mean, the things that we take for granted, that many of us have three, four, ten Bibles in our homes. We carry it around in our pockets 24-7 on our cell phone. The, the freedoms that we have to carry a copy of, of God's Word. I want to share just a real quick video clip with you of, of a church in another nation, and look at the awe and the wonder of when these believers received paper copies of the Bible for the very first time. <laughs> Thank you. 
when you look at the silence in the room, getting a Bible for the very first time is that mass was basically, they were crowding over suitcases that they opened up that were filled with Bibles that were smuggled in. The things that we take, the simple things, the ability to gather in a public place to worship, the ability to have a copy of God's word that we don't have to bury in the ground at night for fear of losing our lives if it's connected with us. The ability to stand in, in a place of work and, and share your, your faith without the fear of, of losing our, our, our lives. We take so many of the freedoms that we have for granted, and yet I would say to you that the great strength that we have, at least up to this point in our nation with the religious freedom, can also be a great weakness. Many times our greatest strengths can be our greatest weaknesses, and I believe that's true in the nation. That though we have the religious freedoms to some degree, to be honest, the reality is that it makes it pretty easy to follow Jesus without really kind of standing for your faith if you don't want kind of live a nominal, kind of lukewarm version of Christianity if you really believe that can even be true. And yet the life of the early church, persecution came, persecution hit, and they realized the reality that Jesus said, you know what, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Jesus never intended the church to retreat, never intended the church to be silent, but his kingdom was growing and it was expanding. Jesus himself said in John, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was so, my, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is, is from another place. <coughs> One of the things that I think we can rediscover from the life of the early church in this area is this commitment to, to sharing the gospel. This commitment to take seriously uh, the, the people that are far from God and to realize that God speaks through us to them. And so what happens in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, the persecution comes, the believers fled Jerusalem, and they went everywhere. And as they're fleeing, basically what's happening is they're spreading the gospel everywhere that they're going. They, they flee, and everywhere they went, they preach about the good news. Many people believe that persecution is a terrible thing, and, and it's certainly true. But on the other hand, many nations around the world, when persecution comes, people scatter, just like in Acts chapter 8. And in their scattering, the gospel expands by leaps and bounds as people stand for Christ. In verse 6, talking about Philip, it says that the crowds are listening to what he had to say because of the miracles that were taking place. And so in their scattering, people are listening, they're coming to Christ, the church is expanding, people are growing in their relationship with Christ. And then we see in verses 9 through 12, kind of the competing powers that battle the message of the gospel, the message of the good news. Because many times when God does things, we believe that God's a creator. And yet the enemy is someone that counterfeits many times what God does. And so the gospel is expanding. Signs and wonders are taking place. But then you read in verse 9, Simon that's practicing sorcery in the city. The Bible says that the people are amazed of what's taking place. He boasted that he had awesome and, and great powers. And, and people both high and low in society gave their attention to him. Basically, they're saying this man uh, is called of, of the great powers of God. In verse 11, they followed him because they were amazed at the sorcery that was taking place. But they believed Philip now as he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And in the name of Jesus, these people were baptized, both 
men and women. So this, this magic's taking place. It's a counterfeit to the signs and wonders that are working through the life of the early church. But then all of a sudden this magician basically gives his life to Christ. And now people are believing even more in verse 13. And they're astonished by the great signs and, and wonders that they saw. The thing that I want you to grasp from the life of the early church, I'm going to challenge you to dig deep in some of these chapters this week, is to rediscover the burden and the heart for lost people that the early church had, that they were sharing Christ wherever they, they went. And I, I think the question is not, should we have a burden for lost people or is it even biblical that we share our faith? I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. If people were to really think that was a legitimate question, I would point them to things like the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 where he says, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but it's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but, but the sinners. Matthew chapter 20, it's talking about Jesus, the son of man, came not to be served or be ministered to, but to serve others and to give his life on on their behalf. The early church understood this, that it was all consuming, that everywhere they went, every day, I believe that they woke up, they were consumed with the reality that they were to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Michael Green in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, says this. In Acts chapter 8, we begin to find that it's not even just the apostles, but the amateur missionaries. The men that were evicted from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution which followed Stephen's martyrdom, who took the gospel with them wherever they went. It was they who traveled along the coastal plains over to the Sea of Cyprus or up north to Antioch. These were the evangelists, just as much as an apostle was. Indeed, it was they who took the two revolutionary steps to preach to the Greeks who had no connection with Judaism. And they were launching the Gentile mission from Antioch. They were scattered from their home base in Jerusalem. And in their scattering, everywhere they went, they're sharing the good news with people that brought life and joy to themselves. It wasn't formal preaching, but here's what it says. There was like informal chattering of friends. And any chance these acquaintances would get together in homes, shops, walks, and in market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping about the gospel. They did it naturally with enthusiasm and the conviction of those who are not paid to say that kind of sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken very seriously and the movement spread notably among the lower classes because there was no distinction in the early church between the full-time ministers and laymen in this responsibility to spread the gospel by every means possible. There was no equality or distinction between the sexes it was unquestionable that every Christian was called to be a witness for Christ with life and, and with lip. And so we see this, that the early church is scattering, they're, they're spread out, and they're sharing the gospel with people that are far from God. And their lives, when you read through Acts, they're exciting. They're filled with kind of these adventures time and time again because nothing about serving Jesus should be mundane. Nothing about serving Jesus should be boring. It's just going through the motion. But every day you wake up, it's a new opportunity that God wants to use you to share your faith and to represent him wherever you go. The early church understood this. And what I want to do is just kind of give you this morning just a brief snapshot of a couple of these individuals that are the apostles. And, and I want to challenge you to go home and to dig deep and read 
into the life stories that you're, you're going to see in the book of Acts. Because I don't think the question is, should I share my faith? I don't think the question is, you know, is that biblical? I think the reality is, is how do we do it? How do we share our faith? We, we believe, first of all, that Jesus is who he said he is. But now we have the great commission of representing him. And this is going to get real practical for just a couple of minutes. First, I want you to look at the life of Stephen. If you're going to represent Jesus, you must be a person that looks for the opportunities to share God's story with people. I mean, if you sit back and wait for somebody to ask you about the gospel, if you sit back and wait for somebody to ask you about Jesus or your faith, most likely you're going to be sitting back for quite a while. But you and I have got to take the initiative to find opportunities to share God's story with people. That the Bible really is an unending story. It's the story of God to man. It's a love story that God desires to be incredibly involved with his creation. You, me, and every other person that you interact with. But the big question, kind of the big picture, is this. If somebody from another continent that, that never heard the gospel before, our, our country is becoming more and more, uh, you know, un-Christian, un where they don't kind of have a biblical framework. And so there are people that are even in our community today that have very little to no understanding about Jesus or God's word. But if you were to meet someone for the first time, do you have kind of a strong enough basis in your relationship with God and, and his word to be able to just simply explain to them God's story? Be able to break down not, not deep theological concepts. Very few people that are far from Christ want to, you know, really dig deep at first. They just want to know that there's a God that loves them. That it's more than just him loving humanity. It's more than him just caring for the needs of churches and ministries. But the reality is that that God loves them and is deeply aware of what's going on in their lives. The ministry of identification, that God became a man. You know, we understand this concept of identification. I was thinking about this with the, seems like endless political news over the next couple of years because like everybody's running for president at this point, right? <laughs> and so what do these guys do? They get into a car and they understand this concept of identification. This isn't what, this is not what Jesus did. Where these politicians will get into a car and they'll drive, you know, to Michigan. They'll pull into an auto factory and they'll put on kind of a worker's uniform. And they go into that business and they talk about a cousin that used to be an auto mechanic. And they try to identify with them. And then later on, they'll get back in that same vehicle. They'll put on a suit and tie and they'll go meet with a group of bankers and they'll talk about their cousin, you know, that used to be a banker and they identify with what's going on in, in, in that industry and so forth so that they let them kind of feel and sense that they're aware of what's going on uh, in those people's lives. And then they'll jump back in that car and they'll drive out to kind of a farm field and they'll, they'll put on boots and an overall and they look, they look absolutely ridiculous. You know these guys never touch crops, you know. But they go and they'll, they'll meet with a bunch of farmers and they talk about like a second cousin, you know, that used to have a farm and later in the day they're in a white outfit in a butcher shop and it's kind of, they want to identify with, Jesus didn't do that. The Bible says that he literally came, that he suffered, that he struggled, that he wept, that he cried, that he came so that he could really identify 
with what people are going on, what's going on in their lives. It's not like God is from a distance and kind of understands. No, Jesus, the Bible says the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, that Jesus was full of both, both grace and truth, that he walked the earth. He shared his love. He demonstrated his love through miracles and signs and wonders that he became sin for us so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And that his people believe in what Jesus did, that they belong in his family. That everybody is a, a creation of God, but you're a child of God through relationship that you have with Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel that you share God's story with people, and you've got to look for opportunities. And as you look at the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, I want to challenge you to read it deep this week. He gets up, and for like 60 verses, essentially he's preaching. He's sharing the gospel. He's sharing God's story. And at the end of his message, uh, we see that he's stoned. You know, a lot of pastors, at the end of their message, someone will come up and say, oh, that's nice, you know. That spoke to me. Stephen, at the end of his sermon, like, they're throwing rocks at the guy, okay? It's a bad day. And he's sharing God's story. And my kind of style when it comes to the area of evangelism, and, and I'm not going to say there's right and wrong ways, but I'm not the guy that says, well, let's find, you know, six easy steps to Jesus, and you memorize these six easy verses and pray this six-point prayer and hop along, and you're a Christian, and you say I, you know, there's a lot of formulas when it comes to sharing our faith. But for me, it's kind of, you know, sitting down and talking with someone and just sharing with them God's story. And it should grow over time. You know, I was thinking recently, I was listening to a kid pray, and, and they're praying for their needs, and they said, Jesus, we just thank you that you died on the cross for our sins and so forth. And it's just such a neat thing to listen to because they understand, even as a young child, this simple kind of presentation of the gospel. And I'm like, this child could just share that in school and it would make sense. But you know what? It should grow as you mature in your relationship with God on every level as you talk about God's story. But the bigger question is this. It's not if you can share God's story. Because many of us are we're, we're followers of Jesus. We understand to some degree God's word. We can share that. But I think the bigger question is, has that story so impacted your life that you live his story. This early church was so impacted by the gospel that their lives were unquestionably following Jesus, that his story had impacted it, had resided within them as believers, that it affected the way that they were living. Because so many Christians, it seems like they want to speak a lot louder than they want to live. And I would say that if you're preaching the gospel, you're sharing the gospel, but your, your life doesn't line up, it can be a very confusing contradiction to people. That the gospel was intended to be shared, not only with our lips, but with our, with our lives as well, as we invite other people to follow Jesus. You look in the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, it says that he's a man full of God's grace and power. And he's performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. At this point, everyone in the council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. That there was something that marked his life. That it was unquestionably certain that he was set apart. It was unquestionably certain that he was different. And, and they would, they, people noticed it and they should notice our lives as we share the gospel with people. And it's more than just sharing 
God's story, the second piece that I want to challenge you with this week is to learn to share, to share your story. But it's more than God's story, and, and it should be the basis of our faith as we talk. And you know, God's power is not as much contained in our story than, than in His Word. That's why I try not to get up and preach a whole lot of stories about myself. Because God's power is contained in you and I speaking and declaring His Word. But there is value in sharing your story. That as you have become a follower of Jesus, you have a story to share and maybe you look at your life and you say, well, it's not that impressive. You know, I grew up in church. I've been following Jesus for many years. It's not like I've been a heroin dealer for like 35 years and all of a sudden, you know, got thrown into prison and just this angel showed up and I gave my life to Christ and just everything, everything changed. It's not like, you know, we maybe, maybe you did, but I, it's not like I won the lottery and all of a sudden, you know, just blew all my money and found myself bankrupt and then all of a sudden came to know God. I mean, we, we tend to watch a lot of Christian TV and, and, and bring people in churches that have just these unbelievably dramatic stories. And there's value in that because you realize that God really can do anything. But on the other hand, I've heard a lot of those stories over the year and I walk out and I'm like, man, I got nothing on that guy. <laughs> I mean, I had a friend in college that grew up in South America and was in a gang, and at the age of 13, they killed another kid. And they were going to try to throw this young teenager in prison. He ends up coming to America radically. God changes his life. Just unbelievable story. There was just a miracle when it came to the kind of the consequences of what had happened. And he ended up kind of walking out of that situation, got saved, goes to Bible college, and he's literally like, traveling around preaching the gospel and just sharing. And I would go with him sometimes and I would sit kind of like in the second row with him and some friends and I would hear him share his story and like to see how captivating it was. People would like, he would describe this lifestyle as a kid in a gang. People would just like sit on the edge of their seats and, and it was just amazing. And God really dealt with me with this because I would walk out sometimes when I was with him and I was like, God, I mean, really, what, what do I have on that? I mean, I used to steal sugar cubes, you know, when I was in, like, the Baptist church from the coffee bar. Okay, I lied sometimes on my practice chart for my saxophone, and, you know, like, that I practiced four hours instead of five hours. But, like, it's not like I did anything. Just, but I would hear his story, and it would, I would feel intimidated. And, and, and the reality is that God really dealt with me when I was in college. And he, one of the things that he really said to me is that some of the most powerful testimonies is not... God pulling people out from a lifestyle of sin, but it's because of the faithfulness of a parent that faithfully prays that he preserves us from those things. And the Lord really dealt with me and said, who do you think you are that you say you have no story because you don't have a landfill of the consequences of sin? But the Lord challenged me with that over and over. And I realized that even if I grew up at church, that I have a powerful story that I can share. One of the things that we set up, and I want to challenge you to do, is we've set up uh, an email address just called stories at scaccesschurch.com. Stories at scaccesschurch.com. Just this week, a couple people shared with me just stories about what God was doing in their lives. It just reminds me of that, oh man, he does some awesome things. 
If you ever at any point just want to write a three, four, five sentence story and send it into that email and it would give us the opportunity every once in a while to just anonymously talk about things that God is doing in our lives that builds and increases our faith in every way. To remind ourselves that everyone has a story. If you read in Acts 22 about the Apostle Paul, I want to challenge you to read this this week in Acts 22. He's basically saying in verse 1, he says, Brothers and, and esteemed fathers, listen to me as I offer my defense. This is from the New Living Translation. But basically he's saying, listen to me as I share the story of, of where I was and where I am today. Many of you know, but, but as Stephen is stoned in Acts chapter 8, Paul was incredible, or Saul at the time was incredibly involved with the stonings that were taking place and these believers that were being executed. And basically he's walking down the street one day, God's power so grips and gets a hold of him. He says, why are you persecuting me? Go to the house and, and meet this man and wash your face. And, and basically, Paul has this unbelievable encounter with God. Saul has this unbelievable encounter with God. And you can even read that and say, God, it's not like I have an, you speak to me in an audible voice. I mean, many of us, we have simple stories. And yet the simple stories are incredible stories because it's what God is doing, doing in your life. And the reality is that anyone that's not following Jesus, they have a story to share as well. And if you would scratch beyond the surface with their lives and you would share God's story and you would, you know, people that aren't followers of Jesus, many times they've got a story or a reason why they're not a follower of Jesus. I was at a party this week and I was talking to this guy uh, and I just said, why don't you just share with me a little bit about your life? Basically, your story. What? Who are you? What? And you know, it's just amazing how quickly people begin to kind of peel off the, the layers. Most people love talking about themselves. And so if you can get someone talking about what God is doing or not doing in their life, I believe that it's kind of between this, the middle of this triangle between God's story, your story, and people's story, that the Holy Spirit has a way of working. The Holy Spirit has a way of gripping and, and drawing people to himself. You and I don't change people. But we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that draws people to God. And as we share God's story, we share about what he's done in our lives and through our lives. And we listen to what he's either doing or not doing. But he's always working in people's lives beyond the surface. It's in those moments that God many times can grip and get a hold of, of people's lives. The third point that I'll challenge you with and then we'll skip number three and go to four but it's from last week as you look at the life of Philip the Bible clearly says that there are times with this Ethiopian eunuch that you and I are to sit down and discuss and answer questions and you can read about that this week in, in Acts chapter 8 and there are those moments that are incredibly important but, but I want to challenge you before we close with number four that you always look for God to do the impossible how many of you know people? You don't have to raise your hand. But outside of an absolute miracle, it just seems like from the surface that God's, I mean, there's just no hope for people, it seems like. You ever meet someone and it's like, Lord, I'll talk to them, I'll share, but at the end of the day, you've got to like get a hold of that person. 
And I would say to you that you've got to believe that God can. You share your story. You share God's story. You listen to what's going on. But you've got to believe that God can do the impossible. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion. In verse 1, Saul is basically uttering threats with every breath. He's eager to destroy God's people. But then you jump down to verse 20. And this same guy is now preaching the gospel. And he's sharing and he's saying, indeed, he is the son of God. And it's in between these two verses that God does what you and I can never do. He does the impossible in people's lives. This man was trying to destroy this spirit-empowered Christian community. But the Bible says that Jesus, that God gets a hold of him and does what you and I can never possibly do on our own strength. He says, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the church? And it's in those moments that God gets a hold of his life. I want the worship team to come back. I want to challenge you this week and even today. You know, it's Memorial Day weekend, and many of, of you are, are you're like ready for me to be done talking because you've got hamburgers and chicken and fries and food on your minds. And, and I don't want to pour cold water on your parade or your party. But can I challenge you and ask you this question? Have you thought about the reality that many of you guys today and tomorrow are going to gather with people that don't have a relationship with Jesus? And it's in those moments that many times God wants to speak through our lives as we meet and we interact and we get together with people. That sharing our faith, sharing the gospel isn't Reserved to something that pastors and leaders do. It's not reserved for, for the church to do, but that everyone is in this or in the book of Acts. Amen. Everyone is. And as they're scattered, as they're spread out everywhere they went, there was this deep concern for people that were far from God. Never be intimidated <clears throat> to talk about what Jesus has done. In your life. Would you just close your eyes for a minute?